Any views or opinions expressed in this podcast are strictly the views or opinions of the presenter. Nothing in here is the view of the firms, corporations, financial entities that anybody represents. Uh, Nothing expressed here is a view of any um, regulator or semi-regulatory agency. Uh, All content is intended to be educational. Nothing in this episode construes specific investment advice. And if you do require advice, you should seek an appropriate advisor, be that a financial planner or a tax advisor or possibly a lawyer. The first part of the three is the funnel. The funnel is the will that catches everything. The second part of the three are the filters. Filters for debts and taxes, filters for initial gifts off the top. And then the third element is the bucket at the bottom. This episode of the CE Drive podcast is brought to you by Business Career College. Business Career College is a leading provider of financial services education, including the life insurance licensing program, the entire set of courses leading to the CFP certification, which is actually where I spend most of my time teaching and where I've met many of the participants in these podcasts. We also provide continuing education credits, live classroom and webinar instruction in support of the Elder Planning Counselor designation, and a few other odds and ends in support of folks in the financial services industry. You can find the full catalog of course offerings at www.businesscareercollege.com. Hi, it's Jason Watt here, uh, back with another episode of CE Drive Podcast. Uh, This episode is going to be good for a whole bunch of insurance credits. We'll have uh, one credit in every insurance jurisdiction for Alberta. It'll be good for one life and a half in ANS credit. A little bit of ANS there for you. Uh, It'll be good for a financial planning credit from FP Canada, a generic credit from Advocus, a competency credit from Advocus. Um, It'll be good for a professional development credit from IROC and one estate planning credit from MFDA. Okay, in this episode, I'm going to talk with uh, Jordan Ayton from um, Estate Planner and Hull and Hull and Osgood Law School and a bunch of other places. Uh, Jordan's a very well-known um, estates lawyer. He's been part of a lot of, this is actually a, a good endorsement for content creation. Um, Jordan's been behind a ton of YouTube videos. I think you'd find on the uh, Hull on Estates uh, YouTube channel or on the podcast that he's probably got a hundred episodes out there that he's featured in, especially in the early days. Now that machine is sort of its own machine and uh, the other lawyers from the firm have picked it up. But I think that Jordan, a lot of his reputation comes about because he was very willing to produce a ton of content. And he credits here Ian Hall, who is also at uh, a very prominent estates lawyer with uh, helping him out there. So that's great. I wouldn't be surprised if Jordan said, you know, given some credit. He just he's the kind of guy I think where he's probably giving some credit where um he deserves more more of the credit than he's giving himself. Um, not to shortchange Ian at all. I know Ian is a huge fan of producing a ton of good content that um if you're not using it, I really would encourage you to go set up a subscription at the very least to the Holland Estates podcast. I've talked about it before here. It's 15 minutes every week. And it's uh, it's always some summary of some recent um, estate planning case. Tons of value in there. Okay, um, the object for today, before we get into the interview, the object for today is a ball cap. This is my uh, rather beaten up Edmonton Federation of Community Leagues ball cap. And one of the places where I put in some volunteer time is with the Edmonton Federation of Community Leagues. All right, we're going to roll into the interview momentarily here. Um, following the interview, I have some follow-up comments about registered disability savings plans, which Jordan and I didn't really talk about in the uh, interview. Thanks. I'm here today with Jordan Ayton. A lot of you will know Jordan from, uh, I'm going to say, the Hull on Estates podcast or Hull and Hull TV or some version of that, Jordan. I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I we... Holland Hall's a big leader in 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 uh, content, so yeah, you, you you can't avoid us. <laughs> I like it. I've learned a ton. I've been following both since day one. I think you're almost 700 episodes into the podcast or into the content there right now, aren't you? That is Ian Hull who drove that whole thing before it was 
fashionable to podcast or blog or any of that. He was a leader in in this, and uh, so yeah, all the all the kudos go to him for sure. I think I remember like those early episodes because there wasn't much of that content then, but those early episodes, you'd see like 30 or 40 views on them. And I, and I remember thinking like, I'm one of a small number of people watching this. And and now I'm sure you, I don't even know what you're doing for views. I, I listen, I don't watch, so I don't see the, the view count anymore, but yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I know they're pretty well regarded and, and I mean, there's a lot of content, but what we really focus on is the quality of the content. And, and, and uh, I mean, there's, you know, our area changes and there's new issues all the time. So that's why we have so many of these, you know, podcasts. Yeah. It's effectively an unlimited pool of information when you just wait for the next lawsuit to come out every week, right? That's right. Exactly. So now can you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit about your um, estate practice? Sure. So I, I'm an estate lawyer. I just passed 30 years at the bar. Um, and uh, so I do... Um, the non-contentious estate work, although uh, historically I did both uh, contentious estate work and non-contentious estate work. Uh, now I focus on planning and administration of estates. Uh, and I'm counsel at Hull & Hull, along with basically I run my own firm separate because they are only a contentious estate firm. And uh, so that's how it works. It's an unusual kind of setup, but I've been there with Ian for, for 24 years. I didn't know that Holland Hall focused just on. I, I'm going to like litigation and similar questions. Then is that yeah, yeah, and contentious yeah. estates. I mean, they do estate some estate work, but they don't generally do a lot of planning and uh, focus mostly on the disputes. I had no. So here's what you don't know, right? Now I asked you on to talk. Like we're going to talk about estate planning in general and lots of that. But you also, you're you're not a lawyer alone. You're also now a tech entrepreneur, I suppose. Yes. Do you think of yourself I, like that? Well, I uh, I've kind of stumbled into that a little bit. Um, yeah, I, have, I joke that I have two full-time jobs because I have a full-time law practice, but I'm also a, a CEO, a, the CEO of, of eState Planner and uh, a company that we founded, Ian and I, um, and uh, that um, uh, has software to help uh, people, uh, professionals, and uh, with their clients, their estate plan. Perfect. So I'm going to ask two separate questions here. First, can you tell us about your ideal client in your law practice? And I think we'll deal with like your law practice, not so much Hull. Sure. So. Yeah. I mean, my practice ranges from uh, very small uh, states in a sense to very large ones. Uh, I mean, I don't do tax planning, so um, we involve tax experts on that. But, you know, an ideal client is just a nice, nice person, a couple uh, that is wants to do some planning and uh, has a, a low key. Uh, I'm a kind of a low key guy, so I try to make it as uh, as painless as possible. Uh, so that's uh, those are the people who I, I connect with best. Nice people. I like that. That's a good. Uh, that's a good niche. And what about the ideal client for estate planner? I think you might have two or three answers to this here, but. Yeah, so eState Planner is a business-to-business -business, uh, platform. So it's not consumer-based. It's not like a willful or anything like that. It's for professionals, estate professionals. And so we have you know 470 firms that use us, law firms, uh, financial planning firms. You know, the ideal user of eState is uh, is is a, is someone who's looking for a modern approach to to interacting with their clients uh, over these issues that historically have not been catered to very well uh, with technology. I'm going to give a little bit of a plug here, Jordan, because I don't know if you're comfortable doing it, but essentially like eState Planner, and I've played around with it a bit. I've, I'm a I'm a user now and all that. And it really lays out a whole bunch of really great graphical tools for building your estate plan stuff that you can kind of live like the client can watch it happen as you build it. I think that's fair um, right. or build different iterations. And then the thing that maybe we're not as concerned about here, but I'm going to ask you about later on too, is it, it also drafts the documents. So it's first this set of graphical representations and then this drafting tool for wills, powers of attorneys. I'm going to say personal directives, whatever the tool yeah. is in the province. Yeah, exactly. It does all of so, yeah. yeah, for perfect. sure. Um, that was yeah. really, you know, Jason, that was really the... The first iteration of eState Planner didn't draft anything. It was about the client experience. It was about taking what used to be, and, and quite frankly, and I, I 
say this many times, but the planning process for lawyers and their clients with wills hadn't changed in at least 250 years. Okay. It was exactly the same process. There was a ballpoint pen, but other than that, it's, it's, ex- you would look and you'd say it's exactly the same. The client was interviewed by the lawyer and the lawyer took private notes on a piece of paper that, you know, he in those days, of course, it was only men, handed it to his, you know, his secretary, quote, and that's how it got done. For, for 95% of lawyers now, it's exactly the same process. And, and I'm familiar we- with this. Yeah. We, we, my wife and I just had our wills redone. Listeners to the podcast will know this. We had our wills redone this fall by a fellow who, you know, probably has been on the bar a little longer than your 30 years and not maybe much longer, but, you know, it was like yellow scratch pad, pen diagrams that made sense to him. And uh, he's good. Like, I'm not criticizing the work, but. But I, I'm sure that that's no different than what we would have had in 1958 or 1908. Or 1858. And, and, and that's kind of crazy. And, and it's not a, I mean, I, I won't speak for you on that, but I don't think it's a very good process from a client's point of view. I mean, imagine, ta- you know, the lawyers talking, because lawyers love words. That's what we do. We talk, we talk, we talk. You're kind of listening, trying to put this in your head. You're talking, you're hoping that the lawyer is understanding what you're talking about. You don't know because he or she's taking private notes of what you're talking about. You have no idea if if he or she's getting it or not. It's and, and then you get you got a draft of the will, which was 20 pages. And yeah, I mean, unless you're a lawyer, and even if you are a lawyer, there's no way you can understand if that represents what you talked about. I'm gonna say that, like I I know these these concepts fairly well. I, you know, I, I read my share of estate law, all that good stuff. And my will, I'm pretty sure that I think it matches what I told the lawyer. Like, but right. and this is where to me, a tool like estate planner, I would, and I, I'm going to actually take my will and translate it into estate planner. I just haven't had the chance yet, <laughs> but that's, I, I'm not 100% sure. Like, I don't know for sure that it, it matches. And like, for my wife. And then the other thing, sorry, I could pick on my wife here. Like she's not, she's not as conversant with that. And I'm not sure that, that she would be as able to say that matches kind of what we said. But then the other thing is, you know, if I look at that will, we're paying the lawyer by the hour and kind of my thought process on it, Jordy, was we spent a fair bit of money on this. It's not cheap to get like wills done. We have a Henson trust in there. We have like, I have a children who might be in a tough situation. Right. Um, So there's, a bunch of other stuff in there. My wills are not simple wills. Our wills are not simple wills. And it, then I go back to the lawyer and I say, and we're not happy with this or can, and I'm paying whatever it is, 550 bucks an hour to redraft chunks of the will. Like it, it just felt like, Hey, we're done. Let's get it over with and move on. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, listen, it's not, lawyers aren't great at creating a client experience. I mean, they're, they're not used to it. We're, you know, uh, we're used to being in charge and doing it our way. And that, and you want to come see me, come see me. This is how I do it. Well, that's not the way it's going for any industry. And it ain't going to be the way it goes for estate professionals. So, you know, it just, it, it was a horrible system. So I recognize that about 10, 10 years ago, maybe more, maybe 15 years ago, that the system didn't really work. And so, um, you know, I started with a whiteboard. That's how I did this, in essence. Instead of just talking and taking private notes, my notes went up on a whiteboard so that the client could at least follow it along and make sure I was understanding it and they were understanding it. And that's really, that was the very first genesis of a new way of thinking about planning wills for clients. Yeah, I kind of had this vision that you had like those fridge magnets that, you know, the uh, like the poetry fridge magnets and you started playing around with those something and then turned it into a technology tool. So it was a whiteboard is all it was. And and in my business, when I showed other lawyers that they their eyes popped out of their head like it was the greatest thing they'd ever seen. And, And that was a whiteboard with markers that told me that, you know, boy, we got a long way to go uh, in this area. That's that's about right. So uh, now I'm going to ask: Is there like an and I, I don't I don't want to preposition this. Is there a U.S. equivalent? Like, is this where there's something that American lawyers would be using regularly that we don't have or didn't have in Canada? 
Not like not not that was client facing. Um, there are lots, that, and there have been for many many years document generation tools that you click this clause, you click that clause. But that's that's just the that's like a you know the very basic kind of a document creator. That's nothing like what Estate does, which is visualize things and provide advice as you go through it and do it in a collaborative way. And to my knowledge, there's not really, you know, software out there that does that. Is it fair to say here, and again, I don't know how to ask this question nicely, but like the lawyer might not perceive the value of paying for this if it didn't draft the documents. You kind of have to put that in there. It was. 100%. I mean, our first iteration, people, I mean, well, first of all, it didn't look that great. But um, they're like, well, this is not draft the documents. And I said, no, no, it's just for the client experience. No, that was not, that that didn't fly. Which goes to your comment about selling the client experience. Okay, so then can we talk through some of the presentation tools? And this is where I want to get into, and like it'd be great to do this as a webinar where we can show everything, but I, there's you have free free webinars, right? So if I want it, I can take your hour long. I think you have two free hour long courses. So. Yeah, if you want to learn about Estate or learn how to use it, we have the go at your own pace free. We call it it's Estate Academy, and it's our whole uh, education uh, wing. And we have webinars and you know all kinds of videos, and uh, not just on usage of uh, like how to use it, but substantive questions of you know how to plan for this situation how to plan for that situation yeah so i'll put links to that in the show notes for for today but the first thing that sort of i see when i log in is this family tree kind of concept and this is like for a financial planner to me this is like a no-brainer this is something i know a ton of financial planners do already so can you talk about the the family tree here and maybe some of the stuff that it uncovers that we might not otherwise uncover Sure. Again, you know, lawyers are used to just, and, and advisors are used to just writing down siblings, blah, 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 blah. Well, um, Estate creates a, a family tree so that you can visualize it because sometimes relationships are more complicated than, uh, you know, siblings can be full siblings. They can be half siblings. You can have multiple relationships, kids from different relationships. Those kinds of, that kind of information is in 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 our business so fundamental to understanding what has to be done. Uh, it's fundamental from a legal point of view. It's a fundamental from a planning point of view. And so seeing it on a screen and having the client being able to say, oh no, this person belongs to this person here. Oh yeah, well, I'm not gonna leave anything to that person or whatever it might be. Because Estate also takes in not just the person's name, but the relationship, what we call special circumstance. You know, are they estranged or do they have relationship difficulties with one or more people or are they disabled or are they getting support or living with uh, someone else? You know, all of those things that really go to our our planning and our advice, crucial to know. And and Estate visualizes those so I can look immediately at the family tree, see this person's disabled, this person's a U.S. resident. I can see that immediately. There's a flag. Um, and so that kind of information is really helpful before you even get into anything. You know, you can see, oh, I see the issues already uh, just from a family tree. Now that's perfect. I mean, my family is exactly this. My kids are actually all stepkids. Um, my wife, you know, there's one like half sibling in there and like it's and then it's we've got families are like that, yeah, right? That That's it. Got a child who might have some addictions issues. I've got a child with a disability. Like it's it's we got grandkids, right? It's every everything that could be. I I don't have a U.S. flag on there, but I think I used every other icon in your set of tools. So, <laughs> can, thankfully, no U.S. flag. So, can you talk a little bit about that use of icons and some of the visual representation tools in there? Sure. So, um, you know, in the family tree, certainly we have little icons to indicate disability in U.S. and and so. But the whole idea of Estate is a collaborative visualization of the planning process. So, you know, dragging assets into creating separate gifts and things like that. um, That's really what Estate's about. And I'm happy to talk some more about that if that's, if you think that's interesting. I, yeah, go ahead. You know, this is why you're here. So, yeah. So, I mean, what we came up with was a way of, of showing what a will looks like in a picture. And, a will is 
when I explain it to clients, it's a funnel that catches everything you have when you die. Uh, there are filters uh, that pull out money for taxes and debts. There's a, a filter for specific assets. I want my house to go to this person, my jewelry to go to that person. And then everything else that hasn't been dealt with flows into a big bucket at the bottom of the will that catches everything else that you divide into percentages in essence. And that is the way we show it in the, on the screen. We show it as a funnel catching your assets, the taxes being pulled out based on what you're doing, who's getting things, charities or spouses and things like that. What gifts are going to come off the top, whether they're specific legacies to charities or dealing with the home in a trust or something like that. And then how are we going to divvy up the bucket? So in a, in a one page glance, the client can see, ah, I understand what's going on in my will. That's the idea. So, and you've adopted this uh, three-two-three model, which I assume also comes out of practice. I assume this is something you built like on your whiteboard you talked about before and then brought into the tool. So I, I really like this three-two-three model. Can you take us through it? Sure. So the idea was to take estate planning and break it down into simple to understand concepts and, and a process that made sense to clients, not to professionals who knew what they were doing, but to, to, the, to clients. And so the 323 model is really just a structure. It says, okay, when we're going to plan your will, we're going to have three separate scenarios that we're going to go through. What do you want to do if you die and your spouse is alive? What do you want to do if you die and your spouse is not alive, but you have descendants alive? So in other words, both of you are gone, but you have descendants. And third, what do you want to do if everyone's gone? You have no spouse and no descendants. And simply, East, and this was created well before East Aid, but we go one by one. What do you want to do if your spouse survives you? And we have different you know, options and you plan that out. And then what do you want to do in the next case? And what do you want to do in the third? So it keeps the client sort of focused on one thing because it's easy to jump around. Well, I want this, but if they're not alive, then I want it. Well, that can confuse everyone. And so keeping a structure. So that's the three in the three, two, three model. The, so the idea is, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you go ahead. No, Jason. So the idea ahead. there is like you, you really want to have the full conversation. You die, spouse is still alive. Then have the full conversation. You die, spouse has predeceased. And the third conversation, you die, spouse and all this. I, you're going to just essentially deal with those as three separate funnels. Exactly. Three There's silos. Three okay. Yeah, exactly. And now we can deal with spousal trust because you're in, you know, that's, that's if your spouse survives and then if you're, you know, the second scenario, if your spouse is not alive, that's when he or she dies. So you're both gone in essence. So it deals with with that as well. And I like this. So I'm, I'm going to just interject for a second because I like this. This is not just, I think, like we're talking about wills here, obviously you're talking about, but for the financial planner listening, I think this is also a good way to think about life insurance beneficiary designations or RSP beneficiary designations. Like that's another which I, I know you talk about with your clients, but I, I don't want, like the financial planner should not just be thinking about the will here, nor should the estate lawyer, right? Right. And, and estate, of course, deals with all of that. We have, how do you know, we have the, the RSPs, you would drag and drop them. And if the spouse is alive, I want it to go to the spouse. And then if the spouse is not alive, I want it to go to the kids. So it's a drop and drag visualization. That's how estate is built, basically. So it does deal with those three scenarios and with all those different assets. I mean, that's what makes estate planning complicated, right? If all there was to give away your property was a will or one document or one way of doing it, it would be a piece of cake. The problem we have and what the complexity is that we have all these different tools that can give assets away on death, uh, be it a beneficiary designation for RSPs or life insurance or uh, an intervivos trust that deals with, with property. You know, there's all these different moving parts that we have to coordinate. And that's the tricky part. Only everybody were so considerate to die with a spouse, only one spouse, no former, minor children, non-registered assets, and a jointly owned house, right? Yeah, well, that, yeah. And how many of those do we have? Not not that many in practice, but yeah. So that so that's the idea. And that's the three part of the 323 is really that structure. The two is... I, you know, you could ask a lawyer, describe what kind of gifts you can make in a will, and they'd give you a list of 60 different things that they can think of. But that that is no help to a client. So what we did was we came up with this idea that really there's only two options for making a gift in a will. 
Option one is what we call an absolute gift. And that means there are no strings attached and the, and the beneficiary gets that gift immediately on death. That's option one. And the other option is uh, called a trust. And you know you need a trust if you ever use the word but to describe a gift. And that's exactly how I describe it to my clients. And they they laugh, you know, ha ha. And then they try on me, you know, well, I'm not going to use, I, can't, I know I can't use the word but or it'll be a trust. So I'm going to use the word however, you know, and they, and they think however. I said, that's, that's the same. That's the same. And if your clients kind of understand that, and, and, and they laugh when we get to the point, well, oh, there's a but here for this, for my kids. Oh, yeah, they're not, they get it, but not till they're 30. Yeah, there's a classic example of a trust. And yes, lawyers would, you know, argue with you, but well, what's a conditional absolute gift? For a client, they don't care about that. And so that's the idea of the two. It's only two options, right? Very simple to understand for the client. Um and, and that's the, the, the two. And then the last three of the three, two, three model is that what I've just described of what a will is. It's a funnel with filters and a bucket. And that's what a will is. And that's how it works. And easy again, very simple to understand, but actually covers every situation. You know, if you think about it, it covers every situation. So the, the last three, just so I can reiterate this, this would be like what goes out to cover debts and taxes? This so is... funnel, the first part of the three is the funnel. Yeah. The funnel is the will that catches everything. Okay. Oh, I see. Yeah. The second part of the three are the filters. Filters for debts and taxes, filters for initial gifts off the top. And then the third element is the bucket at the bottom. The residue, if you will, the residue. What we would, the, what we would call the residue, but I call the balance of the estate or the bucket that right. you know catches everything else. Because residue is a term that makes almost no sense to anybody when they hear it. No, so no, yeah, all no. right. And yeah, here I am. Yeah, yeah, all right. Okay, that's awesome. So again, and I I agree with you. That's a that's a beautiful representation of kind of where everything goes and how it gets there. And yeah, I'm having, I, you know, I love to think of exceptions and I can't think of an exception. I can't think of anything that doesn't fit in that model. So, yeah, I mean, we show in our, in our picture that shows the funnel filter bucket. We have a, we have a separate thing to show assets that pass outside the estate, whether that be RSP designations or life insurance designations or things like that, or joint property. Um, Because again, those are, those are dealt with, but, but estate shows the impact of those because that's obviously a, a key element as well. Perfect. Now, do you get into any sort of concern? So let's uh, sorry, talk about the list of assets for a second here. So um, we haven't really talked about this yet, but you know, this fits nicely into that the the second three, right? Three, two, three. So that right. the second yeah. three, you're you're gonna start. And again, you have a nice tool here that does a sort of drag and drop set of assets or a set of what's gonna be left. I don't assets, whatever. Yeah. Um so first off, can we talk like is this going to uncover stuff that you wouldn't normally uncover here? Very often it does. So eState allows you to send out um, a, a, a link to a questionnaire, a digital questionnaire that the client can fill in. And, and if they fill it in, you know, it'll ask them, do you own a home or, you know, do you have RSPs? And the, the typical questions you might ask. And as they fill it in, eState automatically has that information in it. But what's interesting is when you demonstrate to the client, even if they filled that in themselves, when you're going through the list or you're adding new assets, it's amazing how many times clients say, oh, I forgot to tell you about this. You know, I own property in this jurisdiction or, you know, and even if you've gone through it again, you you know, Estate might remind you, oh, I see that, you know, I the, the client has school age kids, but you haven't talked about an RESP. So Estate would identify that and see that and it would say, you know, Jordy, uh, ask the client about an RESP. Um, and sure enough, when I asked them, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you about that, too. So, you know, seeing it is actually a really useful exercise. And the other thing that it it does, if you put in the values of assets, and of course, it's only a snapshot, right? You're putting in values at some point in time, whether it be today or you're maybe you're using future values. You can do that, too, however you like to use it. <laughs> Excuse me. But what's interesting to them is they see, oh my God, I didn't realize I have that much money. And likely they didn't think about their insurance that's now been added in there. And maybe they didn't think about the tax implications, et cetera. So 
it does give them a, a, an idea of what what's out there. And, you know, for people, for, for advisors who are interested in uh, knowing what a particular client of theirs has, you need to know it for estate planning. And so, you know, I, we find that, you know, it's a great way of, of asking clients more about their financial situation, regardless of whether you're involved in that or not. Comes to where assets are held, I think is what the advisor is going to care about here. Yeah, correct. Yeah, like because yeah. right now you could ask, oh, you, I, I know you've got investments and such and such, but you know they might say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't need to tell you about that. But if you're saying, listen, I need to know this because I'm going to do up, you know, a plan. I'm going to show you what your will does, you know, in a picture. Oh, wow, okay, great, yeah. It's great I just way. want to point out this is coming on the heels of a conversation where, like, you've talked about the family, you've had sort of a like a holistic financial planning conversation. So it's not going to feel so forced as, you know, tell me what assets you're holding at, you know, bank ABC or whatever. It's really, I think, a more uh, organic way to to get to the conversations advisors have to be having. Yeah, and uh, for sure. And and, and it provides, look, it, it differentiates uh, you uh, as it does lawyers from one another. I mean, you know, uh, everyone's looking for, to, to make it make a difference and show that they're better and and that they provide more value than perhaps their competitors. So. Now, I just want to circle back to something you said, hey, this off script, but you talked about the RESP. And I know some of my listeners are going to say, hang on a second here. The RESP is the kid's asset. But what actually happens with an RESP if, I, if I'm sure. a subscriber for my kids? What, I, I don't know how much you can go into here, but sure. An RESP does not belong to the kids. It belongs to the subscriber and it must be dealt with in in there uh by them so whether it's appointing a sub you know a successor subscriber uh or uh point or having the estate trustee deal with it or worse comes to worse i mean it could fall into the residue of the estate but it does not belong to the children uh it belongs to the subscriber i get a surprising number of questions where there was no consideration given to that and it's now in the residue stage and there's a lot of lack of clarity around what happens there yeah. And I mean, that's and, and one of the great powers of technology is it can utilize data to help us. And and just that example, I'm raising this as an example, but if eState saw that you didn't deal with the RESP, it would say to you, you know, say to me, Jordy, you know, client had an RESP, but you didn't deal with it. You didn't appoint a successor subscriber. So I want to just raise that. And so uh, that's one of the great things. It's using all that data and all that knowledge and it's putting it together because right now, and I'm speaking from lawyers' point of view mostly, but it's the same applies to any advisor. You're doing everything in your head. You're doing all those correlations in your head. This person's a US person, better not do this. this they have this asset, I better worry about that. Well, great if you remember every sort of every possible thing, but that's how technology can help. It can use, it sees the data and can use those rules and and advice to help us. I would say even if you're writing it down, like even if you're a good scratchpad person, you're still counting on yourself to note all those correlations and relationships. It's a high-risk venture that way. So under that's exactly what we're doing. We're writing down the data, but we're not we're we're then have to correlate it. So do you find is there any risk here between you know the family tree, the listing of assets? Is there any risk here of oversimplifying any of this? Do you, do you see where I'm asking this question? Absolutely. Listen, we get we get pushback. So I can tell you, I've used eState well over a thousand times. Okay, I have never had a client say this is. They almost always say the opposite. They they say this is this software is so cool. They call it a tool usually, and they say this tool is so cool, um, and so you know, so great. It's so easy to understand. So. You know, I think there's a bit of the Wizard of Oz concern from, and I'm speaking from my colleagues as lawyers, you know, we're used to, well, we're not going to show you what's behind the curtain. We're going to, we're the lawyer, we're going to go back behind the curtain like the Wizard of Oz and do it all, okay? Well, those days are are limited. The idea of putting this out front in front of the client and showing them and dragging and dropping, you know, it's just so powerful. And and so, you know, we I do hear from lawyers, oh, this is too simple. But you know what? Estate can do way more than just the simple. It can do complicated trusts and family trusts and residence trusts and cottage trusts and all Henson trusts. So yeah, it might look simple to the client, but 
it it's understandable to the yeah i don't i don't see that as a risk and i think if we hide behind you know i call it inefficiencies <laughs> i mean if our competitive advantage is that no one knows what we're doing um and it's all mystique that mystique is not going to survive technology it ain't so we've talked a fair bit about estate planning from a what if I die concern, you know, regular listeners again will know that I have a heavy focus on loss of capacity. I think I've had five or six past episodes about capacity issues. Yes. So what about incapacity planning? Yeah. So Estate does that uh, as well. Um, you know, we, we, uh, all jurisdictions in Canada have uh, documents to deal with incapacity for financial matters and incapacity for personal care matters. Um, in Ontario, we call them powers of attorney but there are different names, personal directives, uh, representation agreements, et cetera. So Estate does that because that is a key element of planning too. And so Estate will take the client through decisions about uh, end of life and what do you want to do about keep being kept at home and you know things like that. So Estate does handle uh, those kinds of things because they're instrumental in what I do. You know, I always say to people, like I, I built this thing for myself. Like, it had to do what I needed to do. And I'm a full-time estate specialist. So, it, you know, it's if it's good for me, it's good for you. And if it's good for you, it's good for me. So it has to do all that stuff that we would normally do. So the actual output then for like that, you know, power of attorney, personal directive, these, because there's, I, I think it's fair to say more provincial variation here than with wills. Definitely. Yes. So every jurisdiction that estate, so we support a BC, uh, Alberta, Nova Scotia, Ontario uh, right now. And we're going to expand. Uh, Estate really works anywhere in the world, but it's it's a question of what documents come out. Um, but but yeah, so so there are different, there's a personal directive uh, for Alberta, for example, there's a representation agreement for BC and it's drafted in their style. All our documents are customizable. So, I mean, if you get two lawyers together and say, you know, they're going to say, I like mine different than yours. So we have 460 or 75 firms. So you can imagine all the different variations that lawyers want. And so we built Estate so that the lawyer can say, I prefer this language to this language. This is how I like to do it as I like. And, and we constantly are increasing that customization uh, for the for the lawyers more than anybody else, really, that they say, I, I like my comma here, you know. So what about the burden on on you then, like on running this thing for tracking changes in, I think that was six different jurisdictions. Um, what, yeah. what does that look like? Well, um, we have a big, we have a staff at, at E-State. We have uh, uh, other lawyers on staff. We obviously monitor changes in law and make the changes necessary. We also get feedback from lawyers who are on the ground. Uh, we have people in every jurisdiction, but we have you know lawyers who tell us, you know that well, you know this is coming down the pike. So we research and we figure out what to do, and we give options and those kinds of things. So yeah, that's one of the big advantages of having you know hundreds of law firms is everyone's kind of helping, and uh, and that's that's really the, the the way we solve that problem. And I certainly in the conversations you and I have had, I think five or six times I've heard you say, we want that user feedback. It's it's obviously important to you. So, well, that's how it's like I said, if it makes it better for you, it makes it better for me. With uh, lawyers who are also, sorry, I apologize. I, going back to the lawyer then, the drafting documents here, right? Yeah. So this spits out, you know, a word like a dot doc that's going to do all three of those documents you talked about before. How much change, and you said you've used this so many times, so maybe you're not the best case for this, but how much change do you find yourself making then from what the, the software spits out to the, the final executed document? Yeah, so Estate looks at the plan and figures out the best way to draft it and based on my preferences and you know versus someone you know, someone else's preferences would be different document, uh, different uh, clauses perhaps. Uh, so because of, as I said, customization, but it does generate a, a Word document that's fully editable at that. For a typical will, uh, it's 99% done uh, for a typical circumstance. One of the great features as well is that it includes a guide for the client so that, that says, okay, paragraph one deals with this in, in sort of, in a layman's terms, 
you know, what does this paragraph do? What does this paragraph do? So that that's helpful if a client is just trying to understand what their will is saying, if they're looking only at the text and not at the pictures that we've sent them. But, you know, certainly we, we handle complicated drafting. It's never going to, no will planning software is going to be 100% for every possible conceivable uh, option, but it's, you know, it's uh, gets all the names right. It gets all the references right. It includes, it sees, oh, we have a charity beneficiary here. We need a charities clause that deals with that. Um, that's something that historically you'd have to remember or tell your clerk or whatever. Don't forget there's a charity here. So include, well, Estate does all that. So it figures out what clauses to include. So it's, you know, like I said, I look, I there's no way I could have two full-time jobs without Estate. That's what I would say. It's a, you know, it's a great point, right? Is the the efficiency and I like this, this turning efficiency into, you know, an actual asset for you. So yeah. that's good. Now, is there anything else that, uh, that I haven't given you the chance to, to talk about? I do have one follow-on question I'm going to ask, but I want to just pitch up here. Absolutely. So, yeah. so you, I've never heard this before. Sorry, I'm ignorant. You said a conch trust before? Did I uh, get that right? Cottage, no, a cottage oh, trust. A cottage trust there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Whew. There we go. That's so much better. All right. It's like, what have I not heard of here? So yes, yeah. No, but look, Estate evolves like weekly. We release new features, uh, new functionality. Right now, it does. Uh, you know, you've talked about wills and uh, multiple wills for those jurisdictions that use it. Uh, uh, powers of attorney. It does reporting letters. It does retainer agreements. It does life insurance declarations. It does all those things. But it's basically now uh, focused only on testamentary planning. You know, we're, we have plans to expand it to inter vivos uh, planning and, and that kind of planning, which would probably be very useful for, for your listeners. Um, so that's something that's coming down the pike. We're um, creating uh, the ability to share, share clients um, between, for example, an advisor and the lawyer. Uh, the advisor would do uh, a lot of the work, for example, and then export that to a, to, to a lawyer who uses eState and can uh, assist the client with the preparation of the documents. So that kind of collaboration and back and forth really would build, uh, I think, uh, a great synergy. We So I have a past episode. Ian's going to be listening to this. And Ian brought his collaborator estate lawyer on, and they talked about how... So this is like yeah. top-notch. And Ian's a big technology guy. So yes, Ian, if you're, yes. if you're out there. All right. Then now you and I were introduced by uh, Jason Pereira, past guest on the podcast and, you know, well-known financial planner. So I'm going to assume then that you think there's at least some value in financial planning. Jordan, is that fair? Absolutely. I think I think it's going to be more and more, to be honest with you, even on the estate side. Um, I think, you know, I think there's going to be more and more a need for for advice uh, from, you know, not just lawyers, but from finite people who have that relationship with their client. So can you maybe give me, I don't know if you can answer this question, but let's say looking at your clients who have worked with a financial planner and have gone through a financial planning process versus those who have not, and I assume you'd have in both camps, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what would be the number one benefit for those that do have that, have, have that experience? Well, certainly they've gone through the pro. They understand the importance of a the information, um, which a lot of my clients don't get. But when they work with a financial uh, planner or a financial advisor, they know. You know, I do. You know, this these are all fit together. Sometimes we, as lawyers, sort of just are dealing with a tiny little part. Whereas I find that clients who have worked with a financial uh, planner have a holistic view of that, not just what they're going to do not just a document that they're looking for but a real plan you know that they're that they are living through and dying with and uh they're thinkers typically and they're prepared uh so it's a great um it's really a great uh and, and they also understand the benefit of advice um you know that's where where we're going to add value uh, as professionals in this area is advice and uh and personal connection you know, technology is gonna is gonna solve some problems for us, but we're we're gonna have a lot of value to add in that role, and that's really, I think, what I notice most with clients who have financial planners. Oh, what about clients that 
because I'm not, uh, I'm not opposed. I'm like some folks in our industry. Uh, I'm not opposed to people who DIY it. Do you find that there are like DIY folks who really have that same grasp on like working with you or are they going to typically have gone another resource for getting their wills done? What's the DIY thing? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's more and more platforms for do-it-yourself wills. Of course, uh, I've heard of epilogue wills um, and uh, and willful. Um, you know, that's that's a market that, you know, I don't, you know, my clients are, are a different kind of market, but we should not ignore that mark. Uh, and I constantly am telling my colleagues about that. You guys don't get it. Like, and like in th- this is uh, something that's that's very important to monitor and to and to indicate to our our clients what is the benefit that we're adding as professionals. We're going to need to do that. We historically never needed to do that. We're going to need to do that both as financial planners and as estate lawyers to show there is great value in using uh, professionals um, that you can't get from do it yourself. And yeah, I mean there are. We're, I'm sure you're familiar with do-it-yourselfers. Uh, you know, I don't want to convince anybody. You know, I'm fortunate I don't have to convince anybody, but my, you know, that that they should use me. Um, although I tell you, when I go through my in my introduction and telling them about it and how to understand their planning, and all of a sudden, I can guarantee you they're better informed and going to make better decisions than they would with, uh, you know, a do-it-yourself, just like you guys. So, and I have, so Aaron Berry's been on the podcast talking about willful, and I think it's a great tool. I actually, so for my kids, when they needed wills, because they're, you know, they're in a different financial situation than I'm in, I sent them to Aaron, right? And I'm going to have, I'll have Aaron Klug from Epilogue on the podcast one day too. We've had this conversation. I just haven't done it yet. So, yeah. And I agree with you. I think that more and more, this is going to put, yeah, the pressure on the you know, traditional law practice to to really demonstrate value. So that's you know a good example of this with the estate planner. Yeah, I, I mean, I I'm hoping on it for my colleagues. I mean, I don't have that many more years at the bar, but you know, uh, my colleagues uh, in this business have better evolve. You know, I, I hear too much of oh, I just I like it the old way. I said, well, you might like it the old way, but you're you're not going to have any clients who are going to like it the old way. So yeah, that's fair. Okay. Um, any parting words for us, Jordan? You've been great. Really just, uh, I love, you've got a great uh, presentation style. You can tell you talk to clients a lot. So, um. Well, no, I just, I really, first of all, thank you for having, giving me this opportunity to talk to uh, your listeners about this. I think we're at the, we're, especially in Canada, we're at the cutting edge of, uh, of this and we're at the leading edge of uh, more and more technology in, in our business and your business. And, uh, you know, uh, those the advice I would give, you know, anybody who's thinking about adopting technology is it's an investment of time and, and effort. And you gotta, you gotta do it. It's going to be worth it down the road, but especially my colleagues, lawyers are very, you know, they're busy. They can't spend any time doing it. Well, that's okay. But you're, 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 you're wasting a lot of time by not adopting technology, whether it's e-state or other technologies. And so uh, you got to make the plunge because you may be too late if you don't. I'm going to shout out to listener Jeff here about the tech stack because Jeff and I have this back and forth about the tech stack sometimes. So, yeah, that's cool. Thanks a lot, Jordan. Thanks for your time today and and just uh, being willing to share and really coming up with a tool I think is a is a game changer for that estate planning conversation. Thank you so much, Jason. Take care. Okay, um, I really enjoyed that conversation. I do recommend Estate Planner. Um, I heartily endorse this uh, product and or service. It's so good. Okay, the number for this episode is three. So I had promised that we would have a little conversation here about RDSPs. It's probably time for another RDSP episode, but I have a whole bunch of content queued up for the next little while, so I don't know when we'll get to one again. The first thing here is I want to just give a shout out to um, listener Nabila. So Nabila heard me talk on an earlier episode about potential uh, challenges with transferring RDSPs, and she reached out and said, you know, I've done this before and it wasn't that bad. So this is good. She said um, that took about three or four weeks to move an RDSP from one institution to another. 
it's manageable. That's a manageable thing. And she said, look, I think you have overestimated the difficulty here. And good. I love to hear from people with uh, messages like this. So thanks for reaching out, Nabila. That's um, super helpful. And then um, while we're on the topic of our DSPs, I should uh, go into some of the stuff that happened in the federal budget 2023. This is a pretty complicated issue. So when the RDSP was introduced, it's introduced in the Federal Income Tax Act, okay? And the Federal Income Tax Act is somewhat limited here in that it can deal with income tax measures, but it doesn't deal specifically with ownership of property, um, what we call civil rights in our constitution. That's where estate processes, probate, all that stuff falls with a few narrow exceptions. There are some people who fall under federal jurisdiction this way, um, but for the most part, you find 95% of Canadians are going to fall under provincial legislation with respect to their estate outcomes and ownership of property. So the Income Tax Act is federal, and then every province, and this is why we have differences, like Jordan talked about in the episode, where he... Um, said, look, we have, you know, one version of an estate document for Alberta and another version for BC and another version for Ontario. And that's necessary. So this takes us to a sort of challenge with the RDSP is that it's pretty straightforward. If you have an RDSP beneficiary who is an adult and has competency, that, that is the ability to manage their own resource. Um, where it's a child, then we're generally going to allow uh, a trust or an entrust for arrangement here. That's the, like, I like Jordan's tool there where he said, if you use the word but, then we're going to use a trust. And I thought that's a cool way to present it. Um, anyways, the, or however, I guess, if you want to get clever with it, but where you run to a problem here is then when that RDSP plan beneficiary gets to adulthood. So there's not really a provision in the Income Tax Act to allow, and there can't be because this would be a matter of provincial jurisdiction. So there can't really be a, a provision in the Federal Income Tax Act that says, hey, provinces, you have to allow a person to hold that account for somebody else. So what happened here in 2012 the federal government did pass temporary legislation. And I think the sort of balancing act here, and I'm no lawyer, this would be interesting to talk about with, say, a constitutional lawyer, but introduced a measure called the qualifying family member. And this was recognized as a temporary measure. The idea here is the qualifying family member is that adult who can hold the account on behalf of another adult who maybe lacks capacity. And in the initial version of this, this was a parent, spouse, or common-law partner, and it was set to sunset at the end of this year, at the end of 2023. Now, there hasn't been a proper replacement yet for this. There was a Senate committee a few years ago that sat down to strike this. Really, what has to happen here is the federal government probably has to help the provincial governments implement some sort of measure at every provincial level in order to allow this to happen on a permanent basis. Anyways, what we got in budget 2023 was an extension of that sunset measure until the end of 2026, so three more years to solve the problem. And and this is actually a big one. I have run into this problem before. Um, it also adds siblings as a potential qualifying family member. So now you could have where the child is, you know, 40 and their parents are both predeceased and that person lacks capacity. And then the sibling, so a sibling could be um, a qualifying family member. I suspect you're still going to find a, a few exceptions here and there where it might be better to add a cousin or something like that. But um, at least the addition of siblings opens the door a little bit. Okay. Now, the other thing that I wanted to mention here then was where there is an RDSP in place, there are some estate considerations. Since we just spent all this time talking about estates and, and uh, Jordan was good enough to mention the RESP and bring that up, the RDSP is kind of like the RESP that way in that it's an asset that's often overlooked 
in our estate planning, but there should be some sort of measure here. So, you know, I have an RDSP with our daughter and my will then has to indicate what would happen with that plan. So I'm qualifying family member there. My wife would then be in my will named as the successor qualifying family member uh, that would allow that plan to continue to exist. If there wasn't that provision, then it would have to be dealt with by the executor, which would be potentially a little bit complicated. I don't believe there's any measure there where either my creditors could access it or whether it would be subject to probate. It's not my asset. It is um, unequivocally my daughter's asset. So that shouldn't be a problem. It's really the administrative side of this that's the bigger issue here. So we really have to contemplate that um, sort of what happens in the event of the qualifying family member. Again, the lawyer is going to have to have good language around this because that qualifying family member language might change uh, based on the sunset of 2026. And then if I didn't have uh, a surviving person who was eligible to be a qualifying family member, uh, that's where, in my case, I think that probably we'd be okay to have my daughter just own the plan all on her own, and that would be just fine. I think that would be okay. I think she has um, sufficient legal capacity to do that, and I don't think she'd be making any questionable decisions around it. So maybe I should just simplify all of our lives and move ownership over to her, get it out of the estate altogether. That would still allow me to contribute. There's no restriction around ownership and contributions to the RDSP, so that could be um, a good approach. I hope you'll join me again in two weeks' time. Uh, we have actually a sort of two-part series on digital assets and uh, estate planning around those digital assets. So pretty heavy focus on estate planning here, uh, just coming off of Kalu. And now uh, these two, or this episode with uh, Jordan, and then we're going to have Jeff Baxter on next session here, talking next uh, recording, talking about estate planning for digital assets. This was quite good. There's uh, lots of value here. So hopefully we'll see you again in uh, two weeks' time. Thank you very much and enjoy your continued studies. Hi, if you're listening to this episode and you're not already signed up for CE Credits, this is a very easy thing to do. Just navigate over to businesscareercollege.com and you're going to sign up here for CE. Just subscribe. Currently, the pricing is $200 a year. We may be uh, introducing monthly pricing at some point, but as of today, we have a cost of $200 a year. And once you're signed up, then you can just go and listen to every episode within your subscriptions. Once you're logged in, you'll use my subscriptions here and you'll just go to the latest episode, which you'll scroll down to very near the bottom for. It doesn't matter which episode, you just scroll down and you find the one. So as of the time I'm recording this, the most recent episode is season four, episode 27. I can just start it right from here. I can do the quiz here. Once I'm done the quiz, then I can get my continuing education certificate very straightforward. Um, so I would just launch the course here and I can watch the episode from here. Uh, now, if you happen to be already listening to it on YouTube or whatever the case is, you can just navigate right into the quiz, you start your quiz, and you're just going to go through the whole thing. And then at the end of it, you'll be able to see your certifications. So we're going to bring up uh, designing small group products. We bring this up and we click on wall certificate and that's going to give me the CE certificate I need in order to maintain status wherever I happen to uh, need CE credits. So I really do encourage, I know that uh, out of our regular listeners, about 40% of you are listening to the episode for CE credits. That's about 60% who are listening out of general interest or whatever it is. Um, and I really think this is an easy way to get your CE credits, 200 bucks a year, pretty reasonable price. And as you can see from the certificate here, so, and as you hear me discuss at the beginning of the episode, we have a broad range of approvals for all of our courses.
like to thank uh, Joe Tong. Joseph is our editor, both for video and audio content. And Joe does a lot of good work to make sure that these episodes look and sound good, despite my better efforts. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Maria Nguyen. Maria makes sure that the episodes all get approved for CE credits. Uh, Veronica Tiber does the quality assurance through that process. And then we have a strong marketing team that makes sure that all of our content gets out there so that people can find us and uh, take advantage of learning opportunity they might not have known about. 